Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast, where we are still, even in unprecedented times, empowering and equipping occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. I'm the owner of Outdoor Kids OT and Mind Your OT Business podcast and coaching for OT entrepreneurs. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Welcome, welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us today for episode 21 of Mind Your OT Business. I am recording this intro about two weeks after I interviewed the fabulous Sarah Lyon of OT Potential. She is our guest today, and I cannot wait to share this interview with you. It was two weeks ago that we recorded, and man, has so much changed. (laughs) So much has changed in the last few weeks. The reason it has taken me so long to record this intro and send this off to the editors for publishing this episode is because, as you all may have guessed, of the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus. AOTA got canceled. Sarah and I talk about the potential of it to be canceled or, or kind of the uncertainty around that in this episode. AOTA got canceled shortly after Sarah and I recorded. And then last week, about a week ago now, schools were canceled in my area. And now they're saying possibly until the fall. This is the middle of March right now. And two days ago, um, the city where I live and nine, nine or 10 of the counties around me have issued a, a shelter in place, which means we are only allowed to leave our homes for recreating outdoors where we can be, you know, practice social distancing and be at least six feet away from others or to go get essentials like groceries and medicine and gas, things like that. So we're a few days into this and life just feels like it is so rapidly changing. Um, so many things have happened where I have needed to prioritize managing the families that we serve at Outdoor Kids OT in my practice and also really supporting my therapist and everything that's going on. And one takeaway I do have is that I was feeling very alone in it and definitely communicating with my staff and my team and with families even through email. But tomorrow we have a meeting set up over Zoom, and I'm really excited to connect with everyone, at least face-to-face over the computer. There is just so much uncertainty, especially with my practice. I'm trying not to make a sudden jump into telehealth because we're a nature-based practice, and we're going to talk about tomorrow in our meeting about how kind of to regroup and think about how maybe telehealth could work. But that's not what this episode is about, so I won't go there. But I'm just, there's a lot of unknowns. And I know that all of you, if you are thinking about running businesses, and if you are a current practice owner listening to this or a current business owner listening to this, you are feeling uncertain, you are feeling anxious, you are feeling like there are a lot of unknowns, and I am right there with you. We are all in this together. I think that is what is so important to remember is to not do this alone. Reach out to people. Be with people in this. Talk to other people who are business owners. Find out how they're problem solving and use our collective energy to really support one another. I want to remind you guys, it occurred to me today on a hike that our profession began in wartime, you guys. Our profession began after a war, during a war. So So the foundations of our whole profession grew out of very difficult circumstances, and we have to view these challenges as opportunities to grow and change and better our businesses, you know, strengthen our businesses 
and and our practices as OTs and as entrepreneurs, we can we can change through through these challenges. But I know it's hard. I know it is hard to believe <laughs> that things will get better. We will. OT will survive and emerge stronger than ever after this, even if it's hard to believe that right now. The the bonus is that this episode is the positive boost you need right now. After Sarah and I did this interview, I said to her, you are so optimistic. You are such an optimistic person. And I just admire that so much about her. And it's so interesting just how serendipitously this was the episode that I had banked to release right now when we didn't even know all this was going to come to such a huge societal issue, right? Sarah just has such optimism for our profession and for the potential, hence the name of her business, OT Potential, of our profession to do such great things in the world. And I think that this episode is just the, the boost of optimism that we need right now. You guys, listen, I want you to hear me say this. The world needs what we have to offer as occupational therapists. We will survive this and we will emerge stronger than ever. I cannot wait to see what we do in our profession as a result of this. It feels so murky right now. It feels so hard, but I want us to know that we will emerge stronger than ever, that we have something of value to offer the world and that um, we're just going to emerge stronger than ever. I keep repeating that and because I believe it. Uh, that being said, before we jump into the episode, Trish Williams and I are still planning the OT Entrepreneur Summit. So I, I speak about it, I think, a little bit in the interview I have with Sarah um, because Sarah is going to speak at the summit as well. Uh, we focus on a different topic during, during this interview. But we, Trish and I have been talking a lot about, you know, are we restructuring the summit? Are we changing things about it because of the current context that we find ourselves in as OTs and entrepreneurs? And I feel like this is actually the perfect time for entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs to be expanding our minds about what is possible. And this is, I interviewed Sarah Putt yesterday for the, the summit. And she's the the podcaster over at OT for Life. And she has a new podcast starting too, which I can't remember the name of right now, but you should check her out. She's on Instagram at OT for the number four life, L-Y-F-E. But her and I were talking after her interview, and this is something that came up that, you know, it is the perfect time for us as entrepreneurs or people who want to become entrepreneurs to be expanding our minds about what is possible. Could this whole context that we're living in now, such uncertainty, be an impetus for change for us to grow. All of this discombobulation that we feel can be time that we can use wisely to benefit ourselves to grow and learn from it all. So the context is kind of uncertain and scary. And entrepreneurship is scary enough, right? In a context like this, it can feel even more scary for us <laughs> to, to start businesses or to think about growing our businesses. But what a better time to be coming together, to learn together, to expand our minds about what is possible, to envision the, the impact that OTs can have in this world, and to help one another think through all the different ways we can potentially run businesses as OT entrepreneurs. So the topics that we're going to be covering in the summit include things like government contracting, podcasting, crowdfunding, Medicaid billing, book writing, online courses, coaching, affiliate marketing, social media marketing, independent contracting, and brick and mortar businesses, of course. And because of the current context with the coronavirus, we have added a telehealth expert. So Reina Oliveira is going to come on and talk about telehealth. And I think 
the group of speakers that we have are just going to really blow your mind with with the opportunities that that exist in the world in the area of OTs being entrepreneurs. So we are forging ahead with planning and it's going to happen in May. And if you want more information, you can go to otentrepreneursummit.com. That's entrepreneur with no S, otentrepreneursummit.com. So let's dive into this super positive and encouraging episode with Sarah Lyon of OT Potential. Okay, Sarah Lyon, welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast. I have been wanting to interview you for so long, and I am so happy that you're here. Oh, Laura, thank you for having me. I am a loyal listener. I think I've listened to every single episode. <laughs> and I'm happy to be on a podcast where I get to talk to someone and uh, just laugh and interact because I'm used to being on a podcast all by myself. So Yes, it is fun to have the interaction, right? I love doing interviews. When I started doing them, I was so nervous, but now it's just, it's just a conversation and I learned yeah. so much in them. So... Um, perhaps you need no introduction because I know many, many people that are listening may already know you. I found you through the OT Entrepreneurs Forum or group that you founded on Facebook, I don't know how many years ago, and maybe that will be part of your story, but you are the owner of OT Potential, which I was joking before we started recording is, a, is an empire. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not an empire. <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. You're running yeah. an empire for the OT community from Aurora, Nebraska. And I love it. <laughs> but I want, you to, I want you to start out. Most people probably know OT potential, but I'm sure there's people who don't even know of you and, yeah. and don't know what it is. So why don't you share the story of kind of how it got started? Because it's very different now than it was way back when. So when did you start? How did you start your business? And then all the way up to what it looks like today. Okay. I've been excited to share this story because I know you know this part of me that I probably haven't shared with that many people, but OT Potential for me started in OT school and I was a discontent student, which is something I'm embarrassed about now. And I feel yeah, I feel like I wish I had handled things differently, mm. but overall I was like a discontent student. I think partially because I felt like our materials felt a little outdated at the time. Um I was sensitive to like the learning style of what was going on and in my mind having the patience I wanted to serve and just wanting to be set up really well to serve them. So that's probably where it started for me. And again, I love I loved all my professors and all my classmates, but I definitely had this, just something inside me that was stirring at that time. Yeah. And I'm from Nebraska, but I went to school at NYU. Um, okay. And, but then when I was done, I moved back to small town Nebraska. And I originally was working with one other OT, but she um, had young kids at the time and decided to stay home. So it was just me. And then I just had a very similar experience of being like, I don't feel super set up for success. I feel like I'm creating everything from scratch. I'm having troubles accessing the best uh, resources. And I have these patients I care so much about. Um, yeah. I specifically think back to like my first patient with who had MS. Like that was the first time I had worked mm -hmm. with that diagnosis. And it's someone I know from our community who I just want to give the best care to, um, and not really knowing where, like looking at my textbooks, but feeling like that was outdated again. 
the internet wasn't even as robust at that time. It was 2011. And so I'm like calling my classmates, like I had a classmate who specifically worked with MS patients. So I felt like that was the kind of like effort I was going to, to figure out best practices. Grassroots, personal connections. Yes. Yeah. You know, is how things used to work really. Yeah. Which I'm like, this is crazy because I know there's thousands of OTs doing the same work. Why am I working like from scratch for Mm -hmm. everything? Uh, Why do I feel so disconnected? Because obviously at the time we're seeing like the social networks and stuff starting to take off. So, right. um, Yeah. So just feeling like we're an amazing profession and we're not fully set up for success. So that was what pushed me. So at the time I was like, I see this problem. I feel really passionate about it. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to start a blog and start connecting with people. So it started there and I just blogged for a couple of years. Um, and in the first couple of years, it was just me basically like sharing stories, not really providing value. And then my husband had his own business at the time and we were learning about business together. And I was like, oh, I should start trying to provide mm. value to people. Yeah. You saw the problem and other people probably have the problem too. So maybe yes. try to solve it for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead <laughs> of just being like, oh, I have this problem. Right. Um, but, and also just seeing the work it took just to have a blog to be like, for this to be sustainable, it probably has to be a business yeah. uh, to yeah. do it. If I want to do whatever this thing is, if I want to do it well, um, a business would be a model to make it sustainable. Yeah. So, so when did you start the blog? What year? I want to frame this for people. So you yeah, you, you graduated in 2011. 2000, yeah. And I think I started it in 2012 or at, shortly like, after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really quickly after. And in the meantime, as I was doing this blog, I was working and I loved working. I loved every setting mm-hmm. I worked in. Like I am not... In, uh, entrepreneur that was like, I want to get out of the clinical setting. I was like, I love the clinical mm-hmm. setting. And this is a way to like, hopefully make me better in that clinical right. setting. So you're, you're having this blog and you decide that maybe it needs to become more like sustainable financially, essentially as a business, right? Yeah. Like, so you're thinking about monetizing it. And then what happened next? Um, there was a random, first I had a kid. And that just like gets your mind going on all kinds of different things. And then we moved to Chicago from Lincoln. And there, it takes a long time to get your license in Illinois. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, I'll just work on my blog while I'm waiting Mm -hmm. to get my license. My plan is to go back to work. And, but in that time, I started earning money from affiliate marketing for my blog. and. I also had like a s- online store at the time and okay. I was like, I can see some stuff working. I wonder if I put more time into this, what would happen? Yeah. And so, so that was a point that in my head that I really started as a business. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I see things working. I'm going to lean into that. And then over the next couple of years, it grew to the point where it became my full-time thing. In that time, we actually ended up moving back to Nebraska to small town, uh, which is where we wanted to like end up and raise our family. Mm -hmm. And I worked a little bit like PRN, but I was like, oh my goodness, 
my website takes so much time and I really want to be in there clinically, but I just can't do both. Yeah. Um, you can't manage it all. You have yeah. to pick like yeah. at some point, usually as an yeah. entrepreneur, you have to decide like, where are you going to put your time? Because when you're juggling clinical work or a job and your business, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was an economics major or one class away from an economics major in okay. uh, undergrad. So my mind's like, I'm like, well, it just makes more sense for me to be working on my website instead of doing my PRN work. So, right. Um, so that was two to three years ago that I fully switched over to just working on my website. Okay. So like two to three years ago, and I know you said you had told me previously, oh wait, we're not quite to the full end though of the story because you... We're not to the true fruition of yes. what OT oh, yeah, potential yeah, yeah. is oh, today. Yes. So that was two to three years ago. You yes. fully left clinical practice. So yes. we're talking. Thank you for orienting me back to the yes. story. I was trying to Well, talk I almost asked I the next lost. question. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, wait, we didn't finish yeah, yeah. it. Um, yes. So, so then, th- so then yeah. I'm blogging at the time. And my main income is coming from affiliate sales. But okay. the core of what I'm providing is like topical blog posts, like mm-hmm. telehealth non-traditional OT, OT right. business, and just trying to gather the resources around those couple things. And at the time, I, I see other uh, OTs also doing this and trying to meet this like topical need. But I was like, just came to the realization, I was like, I don't see anyone really diving into evidence-based practice. Like it's maybe a little part of what people, or it's part of what people are doing, but no one's going really deep as their thing like that just right like that being the niche yeah right? yeah like nobody's niche was I am going to provide a resource for evidence-based practice yeah yeah there's something yeah. like I think of I think of um Mandy Chamberlain like yes. her her website is fabulous and it is totally completely tons. based on evidence yes yes but her focus isn't broad evidence-based practice. Her focus is evidence-based practice within older adults. And how do you implement evidence-based practice with older adults? Yep. And you noticed that nobody was kind of taking that broader approach of like, what is the, what is the evidence base say for a variety of different, yes, different conditions or interventions? And I just anchored, I mean, I really just thought back to like me starting my work and being like, that's what I wanted at the time especially I've always worked in like generalist settings, like that was the resource I wanted. And that's why I started this blog in the beginning. And I got to this point too, as I was like, had this cash flow um, and was earning this income and had to choose where am I going to take this and develop my business? Uh, Where do I want to focus this development on? Yeah, Um, And so that was how the idea for the OT Potential Club was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through lots of brainstorming and uh, thank you so much to my mailing list for helping me like flesh out ideas. And then the other just wonderful thing that happened is the technology had progressed uh, just like happily. Yes. It was in the right place where I could start this membership site. And then I, I guess if people have haven't heard of the OT Potential Club. What we do is each week we look at an influential OT related journal article. And I try to pull out the parts that are most relevant to the clinical practice. Um, And then over the week, we discuss that research in like a forum setting. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and we try to make it fun. Whoever has the most like comment wins a hundred dollars. Just knowing that we're unfortunately not very incentivized to spend a lot of time with that primary evidence. So right. we try to make it easy and fun and something you can spend like five minutes on in the week and fill up to date. So, yeah. So I still do affiliates, but this OT Potential Club has become my main focus over just the past year. We launched yeah. in March last year. So, and that I know too on the just to plug the the club again, super affordable and also makes it really easy to stay up to date on evidence. And you're building this very robust search engine of a list of assessments that are used in yes. occupational therapy. And I think sometimes when we're out of out of school and we're practicing, we don't know what assessments are being published. And so that that tool in and of itself, which is inside the club, is such a valuable thing for practicing therapists because a lot of times, and I know you and I have had these conversations yeah. kind of off the podcast just because we relate on this. A lot of times OTs are using these very bottom-up assessments where we're assessing like underlying skills, but maybe not actually looking at the occupation itself as part of our assessment. And there's so many assessment tools out there now that are really using that top-down approach, looking at the occupation and then moving towards assessing the underlying mm-hmm. kind of splinter skills or or underlying skills related to that occupation. And so I just love that, that you're building that into the, the club because that's such a help to practicing therapists, you yeah. know, that it's just, it's, amazing. There's so many resources in there already. And I know you're constantly growing it. Like if you guys are listening to this, this club is like a growing dynamic organic thing that is just constantly becoming more and more rich with, um, with the quality of the people that are there. Oh my gosh. Some of the discussions, I just cannot, it is not what you get on Facebook. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just not (laughs) because people are, people are going to that site and this was not intended to be a commercial for your club, but I really do. You know me, I'm, I'm very honest. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be effusing on and on if it was, if it was not truly what I thought. The quality of the conversation that happens about the article of the week in the club is very different than what Mm -hmm. you see in an online forum, because even though people are paying a small amount to be a member of the club, there is money that is put down. They are valuing it. They are saying, this is time that I want to spend. This is a, a value that I have to engage in evidence-based practice. And so they are coming to the club for the purpose of engaging in discussion about evidence-based practice, which mm-hmm. makes the conversation so much richer yeah. than, than when you're just in an online free forum. You know, yeah. so It's been amazing for yeah. me to see therapists' heart and to be like, people, and I knew this about OTs already, but they just want to provide the best care to their patients. And that's what I wanted. And I know that's what my peers wanted. And the discussions just feel magical because that is what's Mm -hmm. at the heart. And even we have done lots of really sensitive topics uh, in the club where people are on totally different sides of the spectrum on how we should approach like sensory issues was that just came up. But the discussion is so respectful and so just like focused on like, I just want to do what's best for my patient. Um, Right. And yeah, there have been so many surprises about the club since I started it that I never could have anticipated, but that's the biggest one is just uh, people's willingness to share and just 
seeing their hearts each week has been really incredible. Yeah. What else comes to mind just to go, I mean, just let's follow that line of reasoning. Like what are some other surprises you've had? Cause it's a membership site and I know it takes work to, yeah. to get it set up. So yeah. um, what are some other surprises that have come up for you? Most of the surprises have been clinical where I would say the two things that come to mind right away was I come at research from a clinical background. And I just had no idea what the research was going to be saying about Hmm. the interventions we were doing. Like, I was like, oh, every every week we might see research that shows OT doesn't work. I didn't know. Like, I was like, well, if that's what it says, let's just look at it and talk about it. So just like a big overarching um, surprise for me has just been like, I see week after week that what OTs do works. If you yeah. focus on function and are actually practicing practicing things and thinking about the client setting and trying to like think holistically, uh, that is just what the research backs up. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, but then I also see the uh, the challenge that um, what's being recommended by research lots of times isn't being reimbursed for, and that has made that difference so stark to me. Um, right now, our reimbursements are very short-term focused. And yeah. it, as OTs, we're just naturally long-term focused. Uh, and we're naturally focused on like, what's this? How can we build these habits? What is a patient going to be doing in their home six months from now? And yes. what can they still be? What can they be carrying with them versus like, what can we do in the clinic right now that makes them feel good and is reimbursable, but doesn't actually help in the long term. Yeah. So. And then we'll send them home and just forget about them, yeah. which is what research seems to look at. You know, yes. <laughs> yes. what's the immediate outcome? And we're just not going to look at, <laughs> yes. worry yeah. about when they leave us in the clinical setting. Yeah. 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 So, that, so that's just been like an awesome surprise to be like, and I was kind of thinking people would be afraid to join. Um, or just be like, oh, I don't want to see the bad news in research. But I'm really like, oh, research is backing up what you're doing. And we can always be tweaking and improving. Sure. Uh, but overall, it's really good news for our, our profession. So. Oh, that, well, that's, a, that's so encouraging. Rather than a bad surprise, it's a really good surprise. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, almost, I just got goosebumps when you were talking about it, just feeling feeling so thankful for this yeah. career, for this profession, yeah. just, just being a part of the community of occupational therapists are just a fabulous group of people. Oh, it just, I, I feel such gratitude for that. I fell into this profession kind of on accident, like not yeah. really knowing about it <laughs> yes, for years yeah. on end before I, yeah. I went to school. Right. Um, this is a total aside, but my husband helps with customer service. And he is just always like, OTs just crack him up because they're so emotionally intelligent. And so like, even when they're like, something's wrong, he's like, I feel like they're encouraging me. And (laughs) totally, totally different than any customer experience. That is so, well, okay. So to go on an aside on your aside, but what is relevant for business and entrepreneurship. So it's sort of an aside to your aside. Yeah. I just went to the Social Media Marketing World Conference and it was totally amazing. But also the main message of the conference was that when we are on social media, we need to have the 
a servant's attitude of helping others and not being about ourselves and thinking holistically about what the needs of our followers or our communities or our customers are. And posting things on social media or sharing things on social media to meet those needs. And they even, mm-hmm. they even talked about like empathy and all these different things that I'm sitting there going, OTs should be leading this social media conference, you know, like, <laughs> yes. like why, yes. why are more occupational therapists not actually doing this on social media? Like we are so poised to be leading the way with, oh, with, yeah. I mean, I think that about life coaching too. I was joking with Trish that we need those shirts like that have those bubble letters that look like the 60s on them, like retro letters that say occupational therapist, the original life coach since 1917. (laughs) Yes. yes. I'm like, we need to get these shirts made, right? (laughs) Because so many of these, so many of these other professions are taking these kind of OT ideas about like holistic Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of coping life, life and health and wellness, like all these terms and using them in their areas. And I, Mm -hmm. I just think it, it, and that's just because that's what works. Yes. I look at the research each week and I'm like, I think everyone's in the health field or healthcare is going to become OTs because this is what works. (laughs) Like, it's and so as hard soon as though, we right? Can get like, the reimbursement models figured out, which I think, I think over our lifetime they will. Um, oh, that's encouraging because I I, just, I don't feel encouraged <laughs> yeah. by reimbursement rates right now. <laughs> like that's why my I know business it's so, is cash pay because I can't. It's so it's so disheartening right now. But yeah. I just see. I mean, what everyone wants is for healthcare to provide a lot of value and, yep. and to have long term value. Yeah. And no matter what direction you're coming at it from, that's what, that's what everyone wants. So I do think that it will head that way. Um, and that work like what OTs are doing will be more valued in the future. And that is encouraging because I often right now wish that there was some way to run a financially viable business where I live in a really high cost of living area while also taking insurance and I can't make the yes. math work. Like yeah, I, when work. I look at, yeah, like with Medicaid, I can't pay my lowest, my like brand new first year graduate OT that I would yeah. hire or even my CODA. I can't yeah. hire a CODA and, and get reimbursed through Medicaid what I'm paying her in a high cost yeah. of living area. Yeah. So it, it's like, oh, it's just really so hard. bad right now. Yeah. So hopefully I, I hope that what you a say very, is true. A very bad time for Yeah. And what's frustrating too is uh just we know this stuff works. We know what yeah. we're doing is working. And unfortunately, again, that's what I've seen reading the research is just this reality that sometimes what works isn't reimbursed for and mm-hmm. it takes a market correction. Um yeah. but I think eventually we'll get there thinking of a recent article, just the situation with pain management right now Mm. and where we've gone with the opioids, like clearly that's not working. And I just have to think we'll go a new direction in the future. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to have to correct at some point. Yeah. It's going to have to correct. Yeah. I want to circle back to, because you've mentioned affiliate. Oh, I I wanted to tell me one other surprise too. I didn't want to be like, I had two surprises. No, what Uh, is it? It was just the assessments thing that we had talked about. 
uh, mm. earlier, just like coming at the research from a clinical perspective, being like, oh, I had no idea there were so many diagnosis specific assessments out there that are free. And I see the research pushing us towards uh, those top down assessments versus all the bottom up ones that I was yeah. doing clinically. Yeah. And if you haven't been in school in a while, that can be a big surprise, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, it's important. Okay. So let's, I wanted to circle back what I was about to say to the, to the affiliate marketing, because we've mentioned that mm-hmm. a few times and um, you are going, we are not going to talk about that a lot on this podcast, because I think that is a topic that lots of OTs are interested in. But the reason we're not going to cover it is because you are doing a presentation on that and you're for the OT Entrepreneur Summit, which is coming up in May. And if you guys want to know more about affiliate marketing, which I think is a topic totally shrouded in mystery, like many OTs just, I don't, I will confess, like it is not an area I'm an expert in. It's like, there's a lot of questions around it. Like, how do you set it up? How do you have a contract with someone? What do you, how do you get paid? What's the relationship like? How do you even reach out to someone to get affiliate money from your site that Mm -hmm. goes from when they sign up for someone else's things? And so we're going to cover all of that in the summit. And so we're going to kind of not focus on that during this interview because we don't want to kind of cover it in two different places. So yeah. Let's talk about, I was really interested in the idea that you replaced your clinical income with your website in about three years was what, mm-hmm. from when you kind yeah. of first started, yeah. first started going. I had um, had my hobby blog before that. So like five years total, but yeah. Right. Even in five years. Cause like, I don't know how many blogs are out there in the world nowadays, but I guarantee you that most of them did not replace someone's income within five yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing that you achieved there. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are some critical things that you would share with OT practitioners that helped you achieve that goal? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go. I had just had an exchange with Trish Williams about what I'm going to talk about at the summit. And so I'm going to go really in depth to those things okay. with you guys then. But just the teaser um, to that is something that I think OTs are just naturally good at is trying to look objectively at what's working and what's not working and then lean mm-hmm. into what's working. And that sounds like super obvious, but when you are working on something and you're investing time and money into different things that you're putting out, you're going to have a natural bias to be like, uh, this is great. This is helpful to people. <laughs> right. Even, even though the like money may not be backing that up. So right. for me, it's been like of trying to be objective of being like, no, this actually isn't working even though I put my heart into it. Hmm. But this other thing is working. So I need to set this aside, this thing that isn't working and focus on what's working. Right. Um, And for me, one of those things was affiliate marketing. Shameless plug. I'm an affiliate right now for MedBridge and Mm -hmm. WebPT and for Nomadicare. And I specifically just say those three companies because the thing that's made that successful is just relationship building. Um, Yeah. Because at the end of the day, affiliate marketing is trying to create this win-win scenario where they want, you know, they want me to succeed as an affiliate and there's a lot of communication that goes on there. 
So just developing that relationship. And, and so, so I say, I only have three companies because I'm like, that's all I can like sustain having yeah. a relationship with. Right. Because it, it's so good for people to hear you say this because, so let me back up really quick. So the way that you monetized your website was through affiliate marketing. I think that's clear yes. to everyone, but I just want to yeah. clarify that. Yeah, um, which is different than like ads where Google is yes. choosing what they put on my website. Yes. Um, I was like, I'm going to pick three companies that I know. And as I'm working with them, I really trust them. Yes. Um, and we just have a good relationship. So. Right. Affiliate marketing is not passive income. There's this idea in the online space or in the entrepreneurial world that we can have passive income. And yes, there's some things that you can do that that bring in income after the fact, like writing a book or something, you get a little bit of money every time the book sells. But ultimately, affiliate marketing is not passive income. You are maintaining those relationships. You are working mm -hmm. on making sure that you are getting click-throughs to buy through with your code or whatever it is. So yeah. Um, and, and for me, the maintaining those relationships is like 10% of the work, but then 90% of the work is just creating a platform uh, that OTs arrive at and they trust that they're yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm going to use this code from this site that I trust. Yeah. Um, and that means like creating content regularly, making sure old content that I've created is up to date. So yeah, I would agree that it's a big uh, misnomer to say that affiliate marketing is passive. Yeah. But it can bring in some good income. You you brought in really good income. And I, I think you may share more about the income pieces in the summit. So we won't go mm -hmm. into that much there. But you were able to replace your clinical income even if it's part-time yeah. income. I mean, that's, yeah. that's amazing, you know, with, with yeah. building a business on the side that you can leave in, in five years or so. So just a lot to learn. I think we have a lot to learn from you about how you set that up and just how relational you are. I mean, a lot of OTs are, right? We're, yes. we're relational oh, people, yeah. right? Yes. But um, it shows that you have been a intentional, an intentional business owner and built good relationships with your affiliates. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and I think okay. that's a skill that OT shared that relational, but also analytical. Yeah. Um, and that is just so needed and and what helps people succeed. Like you said, either what, whether it's mm -hmm. on like social media or as a business owner, um, it's a really magical skill set for this time. Yeah. For sure. So we kind of touched on the idea of why you felt like OTs needed a place to help them use evidence to inform practice. And I want to give a plug for your little video that you have on your website because it is a oh, great... Yes. <laughs> Sarah made an awesome video promoting the OT Potential Club on her website and you need to watch it because it is, it's just a fabulous video that illustrates the benefits of the club. I actually shared it in a class I taught on entrepreneurship in the OT oh, Doctor program. <laughs> I was like, you guys need to see this video as an example of good marketing <laughs> yes. um, because it's engaging and fun to watch and kind of funny and tongue in cheek. Yeah. And so everybody go to her website at otpotential.com and see that because it's great. Um, but I want to I talk to you about, you mentioned that, that our clients are really savvy mm -hmm. and talk about why it's really important for people to use evidence-based practice. Like, do our customers know? 
probably the majority don't, but there you will definitely have clients who do, who are Googling and uh, learning about the technology that's available. Um, I think that's going to become a huge role of OTs is helping our clients filter out what technology is worth investing in. Uh, There's a lot of companies that want to make a profit off of our clients. A lot of tech companies that are going that see a huge market and a huge opportunity there. So I think that'll be a huge part of our role in the future is helping our clients filter that out. And then I guess another, this circles back to another surprise that I've had in looking at research is how much is free and publicly available. Um, That Mm -hmm. is a huge shift that we have had in the past 20 years. A lot of research is coming out from behind paywalls, which is hugely beneficial to us. We have so much more access to research than we've ever had. Like not only is there more research, we have more access to it. Yeah. But our patients also have that same access, uh, which is great. But again, that's a huge part of what our role is going to become is helping them filter the information that they're reading. And I guess this all circles back to, to, um, I also had like a personal health condition after my second son was born. And I spent so much time in research because just the reality of our healthcare system is you have to do so much self-advocacy. A doctor in 15 minutes wasn't going to figure out this complex health condition that I had. So not only do patients and clients have it available, they're kind of forced to be self-advocates. Yeah. And I think part of our role too as OTs is getting them to understand that they need to self-advocate or empowering yes. them to kind of, yes. you know, that's a that's a huge shift in, in how we're thinking as OTs now than how we were yeah. thinking, you know, many years ago. So yeah. 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 When I said like the majority don't, or the, probably still the majority of patients Think of going to a medical professional, like looking for answers and that they'll guide their care. But there's going to be this growing segment of uh, patients who recognize they need to be self-advocates. And that is something that we should be encouraging and empowering and helping them become that. Yeah, I think that's that's a big business shift I see right now too, is a lot of people are starting to experiment with different ways of doing OT that kind of do empower the client Mm -hmm. more. And those tend to be really great businesses to start because they're different than what traditional people are doing in the medical model or clinics. So, Or I think of pediatrics, like Uh as parents is being especially informed uh, and being huge advocates. Uh, So I can see some of that being like you guys being like the forerunners for, for mm-hmm. us and helping these parents like step into this advocacy role. Um, yeah, there's the huge way to do that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of research now being produced and a lot of people starting to move into parent coaching as a as a oh, yeah. treatment intervention in pediatrics. And it's such an interesting thing because it's just what we've been talking about, where like the OT is not the sage on the stage anymore. You know, yeah. like the wise one giving all the advice. It's more yeah. coming alongside the family. No one in the and, medical field is. Right. That's <laughs> true. Like, yeah. That's true. It's, it's also yeah. like the consumer is kind of becoming empowered, right? With all yes. the knowledge they have available. Yeah. But the parent coaching approach is more coming alongside the parent and helping the parent come up with solutions. Yep. And, it's, and we're seeing that backed in research. 
for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Winnie Dunn has done a lot of work on this too. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. All the options that are out there for very, what I think of as like cutting edge businesses that are using the evidence to inform what they're doing in their business. Um, The challenge is the reimbursement again. Um, Yes. So we keep coming back to that, but yes. Okay, let's move to, I really want to discuss this idea. We have about 15 minutes left or so. And I really wanted to make sure we discuss this idea about, you've mentioned to me before that you're a big believer that being a business owner is not for everyone. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear a lot in like, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, it's like, you can do it. Anyone can do it. You, you are awesome. You know, and yes, I believe that. I believe if you really want it, of course you can do it, right? Yes. Like it's, it's a matter of like being disciplined and doing the work, but you're right. I kind of think that this is not something that is for everyone. And I want to make sure that we explore this topic because I'm wondering if other people might be thinking this too. Yeah. I listen to a lot of business podcasts, so I can definitely back up what you're saying that mm-hmm. everyone's like, you can do this, bring this idea to fruition. And I think being in the entrepreneur space for a long time is that you see lots of businesses don't make it. The majority of businesses don't make it. I know like for my business, there were a lot of just like happy coincidences almost, or just things Mm -hmm. that weren't outside, that were outside of my control that contributed to my business growing. And I think I also come at it from the perspective of like, I love clinical practice. Um, and part mm-hmm. of me is like, I'm like a reluctant entrepreneur uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and um, I just see the benefits of working in the clinic uh, and being able to focus on your patients and not having mm-hmm. to worry about like payroll. And I think we all want to be in a work environment where we have some agency over what's going on. And I think yeah. we look at our entrepreneurs as like having more agency, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of burden that comes with being an entrepreneur and a business owner too. Where and, you, you yeah. hear the stereotypes of like a business growing and that owner like loses some of that agency almost like their yeah. role. They just carry such a big burden. So I, I think my other thing is circling back to this it feels like the, one of the core issues is reimbursement. And yeah. I'm like, that's where we really need our clinical or our therapists who are practicing to hopefully help us be advocates for changing yeah. that. Because a lot of our entrepreneurs go the self-pay route or do different business mm-hmm. models. And I'm like, we need our brightest minds in the clinic helping yeah. us solve this reimbursement issue. I don't want everyone to leave. Right. Even though I know that's like, not that I I don't want to put all the burden on those therapists who are in traditional roles, but I just want to say thank you to everyone who's in a a traditional role and who is fighting that reimbursement battle. Yeah. Um, And I feel, I almost feel bad that I'm in an entrepreneurship role and not like in that fight right now. So I think that's the core fight of our next five years. Yes, um, absolutely. I think that our skill set will be, con- will like, like I said, I was like, in 10 to 20 years, people are going to be doing OT. Uh, mm-hmm. But is it going to be OTs who are doing it? Oh, or that's will scary. some other profession of 
will some other profession be doing what we're doing because we didn't advocate for ourselves? So. And this is in the this is what was really amazing to me is when I started my PhD program two years ago, and we have to read all of the early early literature, like from the early 1900s, from when the profession mm-hmm. started. Yeah, this stuff was being said, like literally what you just said about we need to advocate for the importance and the value of our profession. That stuff was being said in like the 1930s. I mean, yeah. it's scary, yeah. right? Yes. So it's just a continual, it's a continual thing. I think that we need to, and we talk about it a lot on this podcast because yeah. I think it really, it really influences coming from that history as a profession where we have constantly felt under threat of mm-hmm. someone else taking our expertise and claiming it as theirs. Yeah. Leaves us all as professionals feeling a little bit like we need to defend what we do. And yeah. also at the same time, feeling a little insecure about yeah. if we have something to, of, of value to offer. And we're constantly, I, I mean, it comes up in almost every interview, how we really, especially as entrepreneurs, we need to own that what we do is valuable. Yep. Whether you're working and in a... And research is going to be backing that up. And I think yes, in yes. Like the next decade, I think we'll all feel that value. Uh, but then it'll be a new stage of challenge to be like, other professions are going to end up be doing this because this is what works. And right. hopefully this is what gets reimbursed for. Uh, right. Even though that feels like a distant reality, I don't think it's as distant as we... Well, that's exciting. That is like super positive news. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would say, I don't know. I don't think I'm in the literature. I'm in a bunch of literature about nature-based play and nature-based therapy and all of the, all the stuff I have to study for my program, but it's not necessarily related to reimbursement. And so I, I would say I don't, as an, I wouldn't call myself an expert on the idea of reimbursement. I would trust you a lot more yeah. in that area because you're looking yeah. at a lot of the literature. Yeah. I would say that I'm really hopeful and I, I want to encourage people to be members of AOTA because yeah. that is like our membership in AOTA directly funds advocacy at the government level yeah. to change these kind of policies. So yeah. that's something I would I would say is something all practitioners can do is to be a member of AOTA to make sure that we have the, the, the financial resources in our professional organization to do the advocacy that's required mm-hmm. for yeah. changing these reimbursement rates. Cause it's so complex. It's, it's wrapped up in the yes. healthcare system and it's yes. just very complex, but, yeah. um, and it's you know, like for our state associations too, like, yes. Oh yeah. That Thank are- you fighting yep. that uh, Medicaid battle. Yes, thank um, you for saying that. I and forgot I to mention like state too. I almost look at the broad, I mean, both the federal and the state are really important to be advocating mm-hmm. for. And I see the state being really important right now. Just those incremental mm. Medicaid and yeah, those incremental wins at the state level. I think those are really important. Yeah, because I, I hear a lot of times OTs are like, "Oh, it's so expensive to be a member." I just, you know, and I, and I'm just like, "It's we can't afford not to be members yeah. of our professional organizations with with how critical." I mean, everything we've talked about, a lot of a lot of it has centered around reimbursement. Just our our mm-hmm. discussion here today, and 
I think that's something a lot of times I feel like sometimes, you, you know, you listen to a podcast and you're like, okay, yeah, that was a problem, but what can I do about it? Well, what you can do is join your state and your, <laughs> your yes, national yeah. organization yeah. if you're listening to this right now, if you're yeah. not already a member. And my state isn't even that expensive. I don't know if that's true of other states, but... Yeah, I can't remember what California is, but... Um, you guys have like a yeah. big active association. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a large state, so... Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about like not all business ownership is not for everyone, but if people are listening to this podcast, they probably want to be business owners or yes. are interested in being yeah. business owners. And I think we can say that if you have a business idea that is meeting a need and that people also are experiencing that need and need a solution to it, then you can start a business. Like yeah. <laughs> there yes. is always a way, right? Yes. <laughs> so let's let's be positive on the yes. On the and I think I wanna uh not business ownership isn't for everyone. I always think of uh, Warren Buffett. I think Warren Buffett said this, that people tend to overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in five years. And I yeah. totally think that about business ownership. I think sometimes I see people being like, I want to launch a business because I need money right now. And I'm just like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that yeah. Don't launch a business for that yeah. reason. Just leverage what you're already doing as in clinical OT probably is probably the right. But if you are looking at that five-year horizon and feeling like that's what you want to do, go for it. Like, yes. Uh, and for me, I'm always like one, probably nine out of 10 things that I do will fail. And it just takes that much like experimenting time to yep. like land on what works. So. Yeah. Perfect segue into yes. the last little set of questions. Yes. So what do you think is your biggest failure in your business? I mean, a fail learn, I would call yes. it because we always yes. learn from them. But uh, what I would you say? So many failures to draw from. So I had to be like, ooh, what, <laughs> what feels like the biggest? This is just because of my personality. Yeah, it is definitely having a relationship not go well with a contractor, someone who I had worked with as a friend and it just didn't go well. And that was a huge burden on my heart to feel like I just failed as a leader in that situation. And I learned a lot from it. Yeah. Just the, it's hard to work with a friend and feeling like I had set up this, it was a long-term contract. It wasn't, he wasn't an employee, but it was supposed to be a long-term contract Mm -hmm. and just having to pull that contract from a friend was just like what a you, huge emotional failure for me. Yeah. So. so what do you, it sounds like it was like really like a heart wrenching decision oh, yes. and the contract. So yes. what do you think people could learn from that? Like, what do you think you could have done to set it up better? Yeah. I mean, I if think anything. whenever you're working with people to always have very clear expectations, mm-hmm. Have it if you have a contractor to have an exit plan for that contractor, even mm. if it's something that starts out good in the beginning, uh, just to like work that into the setup to be yeah. like, if it's not working for either of us, here's our exit plan. That's um, good. Just on a personal level, after that, I learned about the Enneagram and that helped me a lot to like yeah. learn. I think if I had had that like uh, knowledge of, or some guidance on like speaking to different personality types. I think that would have helped me mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, that's the Enneagram is a huge tool for for understanding how you perceive the world and how others perceive it. And I yeah. think it's it's also mentioned on the the episode with Erica Shoup. I think it's episode eleven, if I'm remembering right. 
And she uses it a lot in her business with her employees mm-hmm. um, yeah. just so that they can have good working relationships. It's really, it's yeah. not the whole picture of who you are, but it does help people understand you when they understand the different yeah. types there. So cool. Yeah, Those are great. Hard, but it's a tool for yeah. thinking about totally. like, people are processing differently than totally. I'm processing. Yeah. So. So, okay, let's end on the good note. What's going so well right now in your business and what would you recommend others could do to have that same kind of success? Oh, I didn't think ahead about that question. (laughs) I would just say that just for me, the this is just like, I guess, a heart part of my business is just Mm -hmm. seeing the content, the research that is out there for OTs. I am just blown away every week. Yeah. Um, both by what's written and then what OTs contribute to the discussion in the club. Just so thankful for them and just to be part of this OT community. Um, and getting to spend my whole week interacting with OTs is yeah. just awesome. So. Yep. so I think that kind of sounds is there a like second part the, here. Well, I was just saying the takeaway from it, like what others could do. And I think what I hear in that, and tell me if this is wrong, I may be putting words in your mouth, yeah. but is to not be afraid to like put yourself out there and be part of these communities. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, I know with the podcast, it's a very like one way kind of communication tool. So yeah. sometimes I've, I've gotten emails or people are like, oh, I didn't know I could talk to you or whatever. And I'm like, no, oh my gosh, are you kidding? I'm yeah. a hot mess behind the scenes. Like you can totally talk yes. to me. I am a normal person. Like, so I, I feel like, that's something that I learned really early on and even starting the podcast was like, it feels really scary. Somehow we forget that people, all people, it doesn't matter if they have 45,000 million followers on Instagram, whatever, you know, like I learned this at the social media conference too. Like all people are just people. They're just Mm -hmm. humans, you know, (laughs) and you can, you can reach out and put yourself out there. And usually the response is going to be, a human connection. And yes. I, and I think that's what like OTs do so well. And yeah, I just encourage people to join the club or engage in conversation with people online or put yourself out there in some way, because the, the benefits of engaging in those human relationships are so, are so mm-hmm. meaningful and have really profound impact in our lives and in our businesses, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. But that was my takeaway from what you yeah. said. Yeah. I think my concrete takeaway would be our field as OTs is so broad and to just keep trying lots of different stuff to find the thing you love. Like I never, never would have been like, I love reading journal articles and trying to simplify them for OTs. (laughs) (laughs) That is not something I would have been able to think of if I had been like a year long retreat thinking about it, you know, like never would have come. Meditating oh. for hours in the yes, Himalayas on your private retreat. Yeah. <laughs> so you really just have to just try lots of stuff. And yeah. I feel so lucky to have found this like very specific niche thing that I love doing. So yeah. One, tell everyone how many people are in the club now. If you're allowed to share that, do you mind sharing oh, yeah, that? Yeah. that yes. Okay. So tell people how many people are in the club because I am amazed at this. Think about think about how awesome it would be to have this many people as OTs all kind of engaging in discussion and then also share where people can find you online. Yes. We, our goal in the first year was to hit a thousand members 
And literally in the like final hours, my husband were, and I were dancing in the kitchen. We hit a thousand members. Uh, what I wasn't anticipating was that they're from, I think, 25 different countries. Um, oh, so that's really special awesome. to have that global perspective in there. And you can find me at otpotential.com. Uh, we have tons of blog posts on those different topical topics that mm-hmm. I was talking about, um, as well as you can sign up for the club there. And if you are in the club, then you'll receive a weekly email with us or from us uh, introducing the topic for the week. And then I also have the podcast, the OT Potential Podcast, where I do an audio recording or I do like an audio version of our overview of the article for the week. And that's free for whether you're a club member or not, you can listen to that. Uh, We thought about that a lot. We really wanted the just like initial discussion of the research to be accessible to anyone, Mm -hmm. even if you're not in the club. So, yeah. And you also, I don't know that we talked about this, but I want to direct people's attention to it. You started the OT Entrepreneurs Group on Facebook. How long ago? When did you start that? It's like 7,000 people now, right? Yeah. That That was three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. I don't remember. Four years ago. And it was literally like, oh, I'm writing a blog post on entrepreneurs. Right. Um, There's not, there were like a couple platforms at the time, but there, there felt like a need to, there just felt like a need for one. And I started it and it grew accidentally. So yeah, I, that, well, that's another thing from the conference. They, Facebook is very heavily promoting groups now because it's, it's not that any different really than a page you can still communicate, (laughs) but but they said that the page is like your business page is like the front door, the sign in front of your business. And the group is like, they're in the backyard having a barbecue with you, you know, like it's, it's a cool way to think about it. And that a group kind of fosters conversation. And I, I really want to plug the group too, because I feel like you have done and the moderators who help you. I think you have some people helping, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I feel like you guys do a really good job letting people self-promote, but not in a annoying, spammy kind of way. Yeah, like, yeah. like it's a celebration of OT entrepreneurship that that is thoughtful and not annoying to be in, if that makes yes. sense. You know, like where sometimes it just groups can become a little bit spammy and, and yeah. overwhelming if you're if there's that many people all allowed to self-promote. But yeah you guys do a very good job moderating it and it's a really great community there too. Oh yeah. Yeah. We do work hard to celebrate what's going on and but balance that with like being spammy. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're going to be at AOTA maybe. Yes. Yes. So that's, we signed up to have a booth and we're all prepped to go. And I was so looking forward to meeting lots of club members and meeting you, Laura, but I'm uncertain at this point about, whether AOTA will happen or if we'll yeah. be there. Uh, but if it does happen and I do go, we'll be there with a booth. Yeah. <laughs> this is, if you're listening in the future, this is because of the coronavirus outbreak. There's a lot of, you know, the media has, I know at first it was like the media was pumping it up like it was a big deal and it really wasn't. But now it's becoming a little more concerning, yeah. I think, especially to people who work in healthcare because we don't want to be passing the virus to customers and clients. Yes, so um, so we'll just look for OT potential. If AOTA is happening in a few weeks after this podcast is published, I'm going to help Sarah at her table at some point. So I will put on social media when I'm going to be there. We're going to figure out a time so that she gets a little break because her and her husband are 
sitting in that booth for a long time. Yes. I said, well, I'll yeah. sit there for you for a bit. Yeah. I want to meet people that listen to the podcast too. So yeah, at some point, if you're there, come by the OT Potential booth. Hopefully it will be there. <laughs> yes, yes. We're hoping. Oh, Sarah, yes. thank you so much. This was just a, just a value-packed interview. And I am thankful for your time because I know you're a busy, a busy business owner. Oh, I love, I love talking to you, Laura. And thank you for your work on this podcast. And I'm excited to keep having these conversations. For sure. Yeah, go girl. 2,000 members next year. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, we'll talk soon, Sarah. Thanks, Laura. Oh, wasn't it just what you needed to hear? I love Sarah Lyons so much. I feel like she is such a gift to our profession and has done so much to encourage us to be really savvy and smart about our practices and our businesses. So I feel a little strange with all of the uncertainty in the world asking you to take action on something from this episode because I really feel like most of us right now need to slow down a little bit. So maybe that's your takeaway is to slow down a little bit and take care of yourself and your family and your loved ones. But I do think that you gained so much vision, I hope, for what the future of OT holds and how we can really use these times of uncertainty as a time of reflection, slowing down and envisioning what the future can be like and then taking those small steps to get there. Small steps, everyone. Remember those small steps because they make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business. <laughs>